I feel like it's been for fucking ever since I recorded, and I'm a little mad about it. Welcome back to Nerdy Girl Reviews, a podcast where I talk about whatever the fuck I want to talk about, completely unprompted. My name is Katie, and I am going to share some opinions that I have on things that I've been watching and reading lately. That's right, I have been reading if you consider listening to audiobooks reading, um, because I have done both watching things and reading things today, if that's the case. The things could not be any more different. Today, I am mainly going to talk about season one, episode two of Arcane, but I did also want to report that I have started listening to the audiobook of Kith and Kin, and I'm really enjoying it so far. I know that some people have some mixed opinions about the written materials of Critical Role, but given that they have such heavy influence from the cast, I can't dislike them on principle. And I also feel like I'll probably do some real podcast episodes about Kith and Kin when I I really, what I want to do is listen through it first because it's only like 15 hours, right? It's not like I also have one of the... um, I don't know why, but I have one of the A Song of Ice and Fire audiobooks. I think it's A Clash of Kings. And that one's like 30-something hours of listening, which is significantly longer than 15. It's twice, a little more than twice the uh, time. So 15 hours, very short read. I don't know. I like it. I'm not really an audiobook person, but I'm really enjoying it so far. I think I'm on chapter four, either about to start or just finished chapter four. I cannot remember, but I know that where I left off, it said chapter four. And I know that I had finished a chapter. So again, either I just started it or just finished it. But either way, I really like what's happening in it so far. I think it's, you know, it's a cute little story. It's not very long. I I don't know. I like the use of the flashbacks too. And I, it kind of makes me want more. Like I know that there are some origins comics for some of the characters like specific characters, obviously not just like the Vox Machina Origins comics, but I would love like a little Keyleth novel or a little, I don't know, a Pike novel even. Like, I feel like that would be really cute. Again, don't crucify me if this has already been covered in the comics, but I feel like they came out with a Percy origin comic book too. But either way, I really like the book so far. I think it's cute. I think it's very true to their characters. I love that Liam and Laura do the dialogue for the twins. I think it's really cool. I I didn't expect to hate it, so I don't really know what else to say other than it's it's fun. It's a good book. I do, again, like I said, want to do like a more in-depth analysis of it and uh, in-depth analysis of the characters as a result because what it really exists to do is flesh out the characters and I'm a person who really cares about character in a story, so I really like that they did that. I feel like the actual campaign and the animated series, to an extent, does a good job at fleshing out all of the characters because they get more, obviously, individual attention by being played by one person and solely being controlled by one person. So, I don't know. I feel like... And maybe this is just me, but I feel like the Mighty Nine characters could stand to be explored a little more. Um, Oh, update on that too. I watched the um, Vox Machina 
versus Mighty Nine one shot. That was really fun. It did trip me up a little and it was also a little bit confusing that Taliesin was playing both Molly and Percy because I kept having to like split my attention and be like, okay, so right now Taliesin is on the top. So that means he's Molly, but then now he's Percy. It was, it was a little confusing, but other than that, I really liked it. It was cute. And I watched the Wow, I'm talking about Critical Role a lot for an episode that's about Arcane, but still, um, whatever. <laughs> I watched the Mighty Nine reunion parts one and two, and that was cute too. It was fun. It was really nice for them to kind of get back together for one last hurrah because I don't know if anybody else felt this way, but it felt like the last couple... Oh, I feel so mean saying this, but the last couple episodes the last couple sessions, whatever, of campaign two felt a little bit, I don't want to say rushed, but it kind of felt like there was a lot of like trying to tie up loose ends. And with the end of campaign one, with that last episode in particular, it felt like everybody was just kind of reacting and like going through the, like what you would expect them to following the previous episode but with the finale of the mighty nine it's like okay we finished the big battle and now we're back into a big battle it's like we don't get a moment to fucking breathe and i understand why they did it like that because you know it was 140 something episodes by that point i don't think anybody really wanted to keep going on you know and they lost a few months because of covid so it was kind of difficult for them i'm sure to like get back into the swing of things and then go from doing live shows to you know pre-recording so i i get it i think that campaign two weirdly faced a lot more like roadblocks than campaign one and that's saying a lot because campaign one started off with like rough quality like there are some early episodes of campaign one that I had to fucking skip because I could not even hear what they were saying. Like the sound quality was so bad, especially their first live show for campaign one. It was like their mics kept cutting in and out and it was just like, again, really shitty quality, but like it was their first time. So I can't really get mad at them for it. They figured it out like the later, um, live shows that they did were a lot better quality. So anyway, I'm getting completely off topic. The Mighty Nine finished it completely. Now I'm like, oh my God, am I going to start campaign three already when I told myself that I was going to give myself like a break? But then I'm also like, well, I keep getting spoiled for what's fucking happening in it currently. And I'm like, I really need to watch this so I can understand what's happening so that every time everybody on my Tumblr and Twitter freaks out, I know what the fuck they're talking about because I'm getting FOMO. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess I'll I'll read Kith and Kin. How about this? Promise to myself, promise to you, my listeners. I'll read Kith and Kin. I'll listen to it. Whatever. Same thing, right? Audiobooks are books. They're, it counts as reading. I'll do that. And then I will restart it. And then I'll start covering it on the podcast. And then, by then, maybe after my first time reading through Kith and Kin. Okay, I'm making this too complicated. I'll read Kith and Kin. First go. Then I'll start campaign three then start covering Kith and Kin on the podcast. And now I've been talking about this for almost 10 minutes. Okay, so let's talk about fucking Arcane <laughs> because this episode was really, really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was 
Oh, yeah. So stay stay tuned for some Critical Role stuff updates later on in the week, month, next month. I don't care. So great episode of Arcane, by the way. This one is called Some Mysteries Are Better Left Unsolved. And it really delves into a lot of the backstory of some of the other characters that we'll see throughout this series. When I first watched this episode, I kind of thought that this was like a little bit random until I realized just how significant the B-plot, I guess, of this whole season becomes later on down the line. Now, that said, and this is a very Jace-centric episode. I don't dislike Jace, I just want to throw that out there first and foremost. I have nothing against him. I think that he is a perfectly fine character. I think that he is acted very well. But of the main ca- like characters, I'm the least interested in him. And it's not because he's not interesting. It's just because I find characters like Jinx and Vi much more interesting than him. But like I said... Nothing against him. Perfectly fine character. He actually has some really good characterization in this very episode. Even though this is the episode where he gets introduced, this episode does a really good job at giving him some layers, some complexity. Like, listen, babes, there's layers to this. There's layers to this whole show. And it's so crazy how intricately they laid out this kind of very multi-layered, complex story very early on. Like, not only with Jace, of course, not only with the Council of the Academy, but like the entire storyline that's going on with Vi and Powder and all them right now. It's just going to be, it's going to be a ride. (laughs) Like, I am so looking forward to experiencing all of this again. And I'm also dreading it a little because there are some parts that I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I really want to see this again. It's just like too, it, it hurts too much. But at the same time, it's like, these are the best parts. Like this episode and just the anxiety that I was feeling and like all of these great moments that really give so much richness to the characters and do a great job at furthering the plot deepening the world like it's just so it's it's a prime example of the power of show don't tell and like don't treat your audience as if they're stupid by having to explain things to them in great detail like even a character like Heimerdinger who is incredibly scientifically minded and does he he talks a lot like he is very like somebody who not over explains things but explains things in great detail even he's not talking down to the audience and he's not talking down to the other characters even though he's incredibly old and very smart I don't know I just think that they did a great job at writing this episode I think that it's animated beautifully of course the opening sequence of this episode is insane. Like, it's insanely gorgeous. The detail and, like, the level of clarity that they managed to achieve with it, it's just, like, I feel like I'm watching a work of fucking art. It's so good. I love the character expressions that they are conveying through all of this episode. I don't know, man. It's just so good. So, without further ado, let's jump into Arcane Season 1, Episode 2, Some Mysteries Are Better Left Unsolved. After a very lengthy intro, but <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm in a talkative mood after that episode. So this episode starts off with actually a flashback 
But it does that thing that I really love where it shows a different perspective of the same event and you get to see the characters who experienced it from another place or who are part of the story, but they you, we didn't see them in the last episode. We get to see Caitlin and Jace in the apartment where Vi, Powder, Milo, and Clagger tried to steal from in the first episode. I don't think we learn Caitlin and Jace's names until a little bit further into the episode. Jace we learn, of course, pretty much right away, but Caitlin, I don't remember if they said her name until the end of the episode. There is a character that they didn't say his name until the very end of the episode. I'll just be referring to him by name throughout this because I don't want to have to remember to not call him by his name, basically. So Jace and Caitlin are coming back to the penthouse. Just as Jace is about to walk in, he realizes that the door is locked. And of course, we know that Vi and everybody are on the other side of the door, but he doesn't know that. All he knows is that while he's trying to get the door open, the fucking crystal that Powder stole drops on the floor. He gets blasted back into the wall. He actually sees a very blurry glimpse of Vi leaving before he actually actually falls unconscious on the floor. We get a flashback of a scene from Jace's childhood. He was stuck in a blizzard with his mother. I don't remember any of this, by the way. Like, I'm sitting here watching this and I'm like, what the fuck is happening? I don't remember watching literally any of this, but it does give a lot more context to Jace's backstory. So I'm like, did I just not pay attention the first time I watched this? Or was I... Um, I, I don't know. I just forgot it in like the year or however long it's been since I watched this. But uh, this this scene is quite sad, actually. It's just very, very cold. Um, and poor Jace and his mother, Zamina, are struggling to get through this. And at a point, Zamina falls to the ground. She collapses and she is she's dying from exposure. She's dying from the cold. So poor little Jace, he's, I don't know how old he is here, like 10, 11. I don't know how old kids are, but the age that he currently is in the story, like as of episode two, like shook me. I was like, he's that old? Like, but anyway, he's a kid in this flashback. He's again, nine or 10. I don't know. He's calling out for help. He like doesn't know what to do. It's, it's very much giving like Simba, Lion King, early stampede, this weird guy with a with a hood on like comes out of nowhere and he starts casting a spell. He's got this like little blue crystal in his hand. All of a sudden, when he's done casting the spell, it takes for fucking ever. I'm like, this animation is beautiful, but like, goddamn, if you needed to cast this in like a shortened period of time, could you like speed it up a little? Like, what if you're in danger? But anyway, so their blizzard disappears. They wake up in a meadow full of blooming flowers, and it's as if it was never snowing. So Jace's mama, she gets up. She's not cold anymore. It's nice and warm here. Jace is just like, yo, this mage is fucking dope. So he asks this dude, whoever this is, how they did that. And the hooded figure just gives him the crystal that they'd used to 
cast that spell, although it is no longer functioning. So, you know, it used up all the power or whatever. So this sets Jace's life on a totally different trajectory than it would have had this not happened. He probably would have died (laughs) or, you know, tried to save his mother. His mother would have died and then he would have been on his own. But, you know, that didn't happen, thankfully. All of these characters have, like, childhood trauma (laughs) that just really fucks them up for, like, the whole rest of their life. So I guess the message of this show is get your childhood trauma sorted it out early on so that you don't become a mentally ill mess like all of these people. I think that a lot more people could stand to follow that advice, but that's just me. And I am kind of calling myself out a little, but you know, whatever. We're all there. We're all, we've all been there at some point, right? So in the present, Jace is conscious again and he is giving his report to Grayson about what happened. He's like, I have no idea what happened. I was, you know, coming back and I didn't set this off. I didn't do anything. But Grayson is like, okay, but you have illegal stuff here. So, and I don't see that you have any permits for them. So what, what's up with that? Like, you doing illegal shit here? And before Jace has a chance to defend himself, there's this guy there who just happens to be there. I don't really know how he got here or how he slipped in amongst the police because in the real world, you need like, unless you're Batman in the Batman 2022, you need proper certification to just walk into a crime scene, which I'm pretty sure this is an active crime scene. But, you know, there are questionable things about Arcane that don't make sense in the real world. And that's okay because this is a magic world where you can give purple juice to rats and they can kill cats. So fair, I guess. But this guy is named Victor. He is the assistant of the dean of the academy that Jace attends. It's like for technology or something. I think that's what they do there. Don't quote me on that, but I would assume that it is because like the whole city of Piltover is kind of built around the idea that like they need to be as technologically advanced as possible. I'll talk about that a little bit more as I get into the actual plot of this episode. But anyway, Victor is here to ensure that everything that is potentially dangerous is removed from the scene of the crime, as well as Jace himself. So Jace is now arrested. He is under the custody of the academy and in his cell, Heimerdinger comes to visit him and he's like, listen, bud, what exactly were you doing? Because it seems like it was pretty dangerous. So Jace is like, listen, dude, I was trying to figure out a way to combine science with magic. Pretty immediately, Heimerdinger is like, no, you can't do such a thing. Um, it really shouldn't be done. Just just don't do it. Just don't do it. Um, and don't worry about it. <laughs> it's too dangerous and it should not be done. He tells Jace to just be like, yep, I was... I was doing very dangerous experimentations and don't, I, I, I didn't, I didn't do anything magical though. Just, you know, technology, just science-based. That way Jace will be let off. You know, he'll just, he'll just get a little like warning. He'll be fine. Before he leaves, he asks Jace how old he is. And Jace says he's 24. 
I was a little shook at this because when I looked up how old Caitlin is, it says that she's 16 or 17. And I was kind of like, so how did these guys meet? Like, they couldn't have met in school because they were very far from the same grade unless Jace got like held back or Caitlin got moved forward because she was really smart. I don't really know. And they also kind of come from like different classes, but... We find out later in the episode that Caitlin's parents are, like, funding Jace's experiments. So I'm like, I want to know more. Like, why did they choose to do this? Was it just because Caitlin and uh, Jace were friends? Like, how did Caitlin and Jace become friends? I need to do a little bit of research, guys, because I don't know any... It just, it confuses me a little. (laughs) But, I mean, it would make sense if Caitlin was, like, you know, 21, 22, like, 23, 24, you know, like... If she was closer in age, I don't know. But anyway, more on that later. We are finally getting to see what Vi, Powder, Milo, and Clagger have been up to since the end of the last episode. They are trying to lay low, as Vi puts it, in this old abandoned arcade because no one ever comes down there anymore. So they feel pretty safe from enforcers. Vi is kind of playing this game where you have to like punch punching bags because you know that's what she does and uh she's kicking its ass of course naturally because she is just she's a badass we love Vi in this house I just think that she's a great character and more on that in this scene actually she is having a moment of sincerity which is a little bit rare for her she tries to be very stoic but she is being very very real with her sister and Milo and Clagger and she's like you guys know that I would never take you on a job that I didn't think you could handle right and Milo is like what are you like are you kidding that job was the best job we ever did but maybe like it would have been better if we had just left powder out so we should just like not bring her to jobs anymore at this point I'm screaming (laughs) I'm screaming at my my laptop like stop being fucking mean to her you don't understand she is trying her best okay she is a child she just implicitly trusts her sister so of course she's gonna go on these jobs that she's not ready for she's also just trying to prove herself she's living in a very dangerous world and if you don't prove yourself in some capacity you're kind of fucked milo is playing some shooting game where it's like the the cutouts get you know wheeled by and then you have to hit the target on the head and he's got like this gun that shoots out balls and he is struggling to hit the targets so powder just grabs it and hits every single one of them like the queen she is and she like mean mugs him and it's so fucking cute i love her she is an icon she is the moment she is so funny and i love her but the fun time that they're having are sadly cut short because enforcers show up at the one place that they were supposed to be safe at because of fucking course they did. They are just slamming people through walls because they're resisting arrest or they're resisting to talk. They won't talk about you know, whoever the enforcers are looking for because, hey, snitches get stitches. We do not snitch in the Undercity. Everybody knows that, okay? Everybody looks out for each other. So they throw this man through a glass wall, glass window, and 
They find the fucking kids. Of fucking course they do. So Clagger has a really good idea. Powder also realizes that she has the fucking crystals on her. Clagger comes up with a really great idea to turn the lights off so that they can try to get the fuck out of there before the enforcers have a chance to figure out where they are. So they hit the lights. They start to run out. They're trying to figure out how to get the fuck out of here. Powder almost gets grabbed by one before Vi grabs her. They run out into the street. They're running away from the enforcers and they start running down. They're getting to the end of the street and there's more enforcers. But up on a rooftop is Echo and he throws down a ladder for them to climb up it so that he can help them escape. And they are literally within seconds of the enforcers catching up to them. An enforcer is right behind Powder as she's coming up the ladder. And Vi just throws the ladder and he falls to the ground. And I just found that very humorous because, listen, kids, when the cops are chasing you, you run from the cops because fuck them. That's why. I just got a really good kick out of that. (laughs) Powder also has a really incredible line right here that it, it was just delivered so perfectly dry by the actress who plays her. Vi is like, yo, we need to hide the crystals. And Powder just goes, yeah, no shit. Like, so smartass. I loved the energy in that line delivery. It was so good. So it's at this point that we meet such an iconic character, Mel Medarda. She is so fucking beautiful. I love her. She is not only gorgeous, she is not only a style icon, she is just a complete and utter badass. I love her. I think that she is also a moment and an icon, and she is presently picking out a birthday gift for the member of the council, Hoskell. She is also on the council, by the way, and it's her co-worker's birthday, I guess, so she's trying to pick out a present for him. She's got like all of these puzzle items on her desk spread out in front of her and she picks one that's meant to be a children's toy. But you know, she's like, yeah, that's perfect for Counselor Hoskell. She also makes a remark that even though she's the richest woman in Piltover, she is the least wealthy of her family. So we do get to see a lot of what happened with Mel's past later on in the series. So I don't want to give anything away, but it says a lot that if Mel is the wealthiest woman in the city, how wealthy her family must be. But more on that later. Meanwhile, Caitlin's parents are in a full-on argument about what they should do regarding Jace. Her father, Tobias, does not want to go out on a limb for Jace, but her mother, Cassandra, is like, we're his patrons. We've known him forever. We need to stick by his side. So I'm sure that's going to work out perfectly well. Now we are back at the last drop, the bar that Vander owns, I guess, and works at. And basically everybody there is like, let's just start an uprising. Fuck these enforcers coming into our places, trying to rough us up to get us to give over one of our own. Fuck that. We're not doing it. But Vander is like, guys, violence isn't the answer. And this is like... 
kind of rich coming from the guy who started a rebellion several years before this, but, you know, everybody is kind of accusing him of being a pussy because he's trying to look out for his kids. I mean, I don't think that's fair, personally, because he has been through a lot of fucked up shit, and he doesn't want to lose these kids to it, like, Two of them, at least, I'm sure Milo and Clagger have tragic backstories, too. They've already lost their parents to violence. He does not want to lose these kids that he has come to care about so much and see as his own kids. He doesn't want to see anything bad happen to them. So I understand where he's coming from, and all these people are a little bit... It's kind of reminding me of the debate that's going on right now about The Last of Us, where people are kind of like... I don't want to get into it because it's spoilers, but people are debating the morality of the choices of one of the characters that is done out of selfishness and love and protection. And I just don't like the way that people are framing these conversations personally, but whatever. This is a whole other can of worms. And I'm firmly on side Vander, I guess, but only because I'm trying to consider it from his perspective. You know what I mean? Like, I think that the biggest thing about media in general is that it's all about perspective. And if you're only considering the perspective of one of the characters over another or, you know, whatever biases you might have, you're not actually going to see the full story for what it is. Unless it's like a Nazi, you know what I mean? Like, don't consider the point of view of a Nazi or any other, you know, like character that is trying to enact violent acts of fascist control over people because that's just fucked up. Don't do it. Anyway, bouncing back to Echo and Vi, they are having a conversation about how Vander and Grayson have a deal. Vi is not happy about that. So back once again with the council, Mel is arriving to this meeting and she gives Hoskell the toy that she picked out for him. He is very grateful for it and She says that it's made for, like, people with the sharpest minds, fully knowing that it's a children's toy. But he's like, oh, hell yeah. How sweet of you, Mel. You didn't have to do that. So finally, Jace arrives for the trial and he jumps right out the gate with, you know, I did not know how potentially dangerous my experiments were. Cassandra is even vouching for Jace the council is kind of trying to get more information out of this. So Mel is like, well, your experiments didn't work. So were they all for nothing? Like they're, they're kind of trying to get down to the bottom of what he was actually doing. And he goes against Heimerdinger's suggestion and tells them about how he was trying to make magic out of science. Everybody is horrified by this and the council is just like okay this is bad like you cannot be doing this Heimerdinger especially is like I've been around for hundreds of years at this point and I have seen magic bring down entire civilizations so you know what dude we're gonna banish you it's at this point that Jace's mom comes and tries to plead for a lighter sentence than banishment because that's pretty fucking harsh. So Heimerdinger is like, okay, we're kicking you out of the academy. You can never come back. Go back and live with your parents. Common (laughs) 24-year-old 
uh, circumstance to be in. So he's not happy about this, of course, but at least he doesn't have to leave the city. That would be a big bummer. When Heimerdinger and Victor are going through Jace's research a little bit later, Victor is starting to see some merit in Jace's findings. He's kind of starting to consider that maybe Jace's experimentations could have worked, but Heimerdinger just shuts that right down. He's like, no, we're going to destroy this in the morning. Don't worry about it. But Victor does steal one of the books of Jace's research. So I wonder what's going to happen there. Back down in the Undercity, Silco arranges a meeting with Marcus, and he is basically going to offer up the kids and offer up their location. We also see him trying to give Deckard a vial of that purple liquid from the previous episode. I did look it up because I had forgotten the name. It is called Shimmer, and it is basically steroids on crack. Deckard does not want to take it. He's like, if I take that, I'm going to die. Silco is like, you know, if you really want power, you have to do anything to achieve it. So don't be a pussy and drink the fucking juice. You'll have all the power you want. So he decides to drink it, Deckard, that is. And I would not drink this shit. It looks radioactive. It's glow in the fucking dark. But he drinks it. He falls to the ground. He does start getting stronger. But like his eyes and veins start glowing with that purple radioactive ass liquid. I don't know, man. That shit scares me a little. Like I'm not taking any drugs like that. Um, But also like it's glow in the dark. He's drinking glow stick juice. Like, no, absolutely not. But now we're back with Jace. He is dramatically walking in the rain to Caitlin's house. The gate is up. It is locked. He cannot come in, but Caitlin is sitting just on the other side of the gate on like a water fountain or something, but she has uh, an umbrella and she was, I feel like she was kind of waiting out out there for him for a little while. I don't know if her mom kind of put her up to it, but she tells Jace that they are not allowed to hang out anymore because, as her father put it, Jace is a misfit. But she says that she also kind of feels like a misfit sometimes too, so clearly she's pretty upset about this. Eventually, her mother discovers them outside talking and she orders Caitlin to come back in. Caitlin is a very interesting character. I can't wait to talk more about her. Now we are back with the council. Grayson and Marcus are coming to talk to them and ask them if they know anything about items that they found in the workshop and if that can link them to the people who did it. They're like, we just know that it was dangerous as fuck. And the one council member, Bulbok, tells them to literally tear the whole fucking Undercity apart just to find these kids who were fucking with this very dangerous stuff that they didn't know was dangerous, of course. But still, Marcus kind of has like a real sus look. So he shows up at the last drop looking for the kids and sends his enforcers to kind of go scope out the place while he sits down at the bar and has a drink. Vander presses a button underneath the top of the bar that sets off this little monkey toy with like the symbols that clap together to uh, fall down into a chute that connects to the living quarters. The kids can know to get the fuck out of there because 
enforcers are about to show up. I don't know when they set this up. I don't know if it's been set up for a while, but they take that sign, obviously, and they hide up in the rafters so that the enforcers are looking on the ground and can't find them. But back up in the bar, Marcus tells Vander that he ran into an old friend of his. So I'm kind of starting to think that Vander and Silco know each other. I don't know, but we'll see more of that, I'm sure. He's like, you weren't always this peaceful guy now, were you? And Vander is always very sensitive to people bringing up his past. I think that, you know, he's a little bit ashamed of it. And I think that he would probably be less ashamed of it if his rebellion hadn't failed. But, you know, history is told by the winners, right? Like he lost and he he paid some prices for it, you know? So I don't know. So like I said, the enforcer is looking around for the kids. They're all pretty secure in their hiding spots, except for Powder, who is hanging on to the ceiling and is really struggling to hold on. And it's a very tense moment where the enforcer is just like looking as he's about to walk out the door and Powder is seconds away from falling to the ground and blowing their cover, but she drops down at the very last second right after he closes the door and the enforcer that almost caught them goes back up to the bar and he tells Marcus that he did not find them and Marcus is pissed. At this point, he has taken Vander's pipe and put it in his drink and set the drink on fire. And he just goes into a whole rampage toddler tantrum. He is a man baby and he knocks the drink over and like sets the bar on fire because he is just pissed. What a little man child. I don't like Marcus, okay? ACAB means ACAB and the end. Anyway, eventually when the enforcers get the fuck out of the bar, Vander runs down to go check on the kids. He's like, y'all okay? And Vi's like, no, we're fucking not okay. They almost saw Powder and they would have taken her away. And Vander's like, I would never let that happen. And Vi's like, you can't stop this shit. Like, we need to fight back. I don't understand why you're doing this and why you can even work with them. Like, they are the bad guys. They are oppressing us. She really wants to fight these enforcers. She wants to fight the power. She wants to fight the fascists. And I, for one, am on her side. That's the thing about these shows. That's the thing about this show, too, is like, I love Vander. I understand where he's coming from. I love Vi. I understand where she's coming from. And like, she's got this like young energy where she just wants to fight injustice and she wants to stand up for the little guy. And Vander is defeated. You know, he feels like a failure. He feels like he missed his window and he brings Vi down to the underneath part of the Bridge of Progress where her parents died. And he basically tells her like, I understand exactly how you feel, but if you're going to do this, you need to be prepared to lose people that you care about. And are you willing to sacrifice your sister and sacrifice your friends? Like, her whole point is that she understands her place in the world. Like, she understands that she will never be as good as topsiders. And she just wants a better world for her sister to grow up in. She does not want her sister to experience the things that she's experienced. And I feel like that's a very, like, parent-child kind of view on things. But Vi had to grow up a lot quicker than Powder did. And being the older sister, she really had to look out for her, for Powder. And I feel like it's also in a 
kind of inverted way, the way that Vander feels when he looks at Vi and Powder. Like, he doesn't want them to throw their lives away on a meaningless fight that's never going to get them anywhere. Because that's how he sees it. He's like, we we have to not comply, but like be okay with the way that things are because none of us are strong enough to change it. But Vi, you know, again, it's that very young, progressive, optimistic kind of mindset where she's angry and tired and just doesn't want to keep fighting, but has so much fight and spirit in her that she just wants to make the world better. So they come to a conclusion where basically Vander is like, I'll just figure it out. Don't worry about it anymore. And Vi obviously is unconvinced. You know, she's still rearing to go. But yeah, I like this scene. It's very sweet and the dialogue's great. The end. I love this relationship too. Speaking of a relationship that I love, we get a scene here with Jace returning to... Oh, I forgot to mention, he went back home and was kind of venting to his mom and his mom was like well, maybe you should take this as like a sign that you should try to do something else. And he feels very unsupported, you know? So he's he's very passionate about the benefits of magic and what it can do to help people. You know, she's, again, being very protective, just wants her son to stay out of trouble and not risk his own life and not risk himself because she loves him and she cares about him and that's her baby. But he goes back to his workshop and there's obviously that big hole blown in the wall. He walks over to the edge of the building and he looks down. It seems like he's about to jump. He's about to kill himself. I can say that word. It's not TikTok, guys. He's about to K-word himself. He's about to unalive himself. He's about to kill himself. He's going to jump out the building before Victor comes in and stops him from doing it. Jace is very thrown off by this. Victor is like, you know, I read your research. Signing every single page of it was a little bit egotistical, but I think that you have something really promising here and I want to work with you on that. Victor actually is disabled. He has a cane. So he's disability representation, mobility aid representation, and he was also from the Undercity. So working class hero representation. He started from the bottom, now he's here. I love Victor. I think that Victor is a great character. I can't wait to see more from him. I keep saying that, but I like these characters. I can't wait to see more from them. And yeah, maybe I do ship Jason Victor a little bit. So what? What about it? This this show has LGBTQ representation, but I think it deserves more. So period the end. But anyway, we are back with Vi and Powder and Milo and Clagger. Basically, they're kind of trying to hunker down while the enforcers are out in the streets looking for them. And Powder is messing with some little more bombs that she has made. She's telling Vi all about what they can do. And she ends that statement with I know that the next ones are going to work. So I forgot to mention it at the end of the last episode, but um, that's what Vi said about Powder's inventions, her little grenades that, you know, one day they are going to work. The emphasis on that, whew, in hindsight, it hurts. Vi leaves her sister with parting words that I found really beautiful. She says, what makes you different makes you strong. Vi leaves. We'll get to see what she's doing in a a minute or two when we see Grayson reprimanding Marcus for the scene that he made in the last drop. 
she is very upset with him for doing this. He's a rookie, I think. And she's obviously been at this for a while. So she's like very pissed off about it. But they're cut off from this conversation when she gets that little device back that she had given to Vander. So she assumes that Vander has sent her a message to tell her about who caused this explosion. Little Baby Powder is in the bar with this little little bunny toy that we haven't seen her with. I realized, oh, and I realized before when Jace was about to commit suicide that he had taken off, he was wearing the whole episode and has been since he saw the mage that saved his life, the crystal, the hex crystal as a leather cuff and he had taken it off before he was going to commit suicide. So that was really sad. Um, But this little bunny, this bunny toy is the bunny toy that Vi lost when she was a little girl that got stuck up on the power lines. Vander sees how sad she is. So he's trying to cheer her up by giving her a little juice and it's not cheering her up. And it's at this point that Vander realizes what this bunny toy is and what Vi has done, which is gone to Benzo's shop to turn herself in to the enforcers. So I guess we'll see how the rest of this shakes out next week. <laughs> I'm so scared, guys. I'm going to be so emotional. Um, for no reason in particular. I just love this show. It makes me very emotional. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to talk about the impact that the third episode of this show had on me and had on people that I have talked to about the show and I'm assuming most of the audience of the show. It's going to be a good one. Um, and it's going to be pretty dramatic. So yeah, um, I'll be back to talk about that. Oh, I won't be back to talk about that next week because I'll be in Chicago. I will, will I be in Chicago? I'll be in Chicago for C2E2. So I guess we'll be back to talk about episode three next the week after next week, which is the first week of April. I'll, what I'll probably do is I'll probably watch and record next week and then edit it the week after. I don't know. <laughs> I'll try to do it in the beginning of the week, but no promises on getting it out next week. I know that I posted a schedule, but yeah. Anyway, I loved this episode. I loved talking about it. I talked for significantly longer about this episode than the last episode, which I kind of knew would happen. But anyway, be on the lookout for more Critical Role content. I'm sure that when I finish Kith and Kin, I'll want to talk about it on here. Even if I don't go chapter by chapter or like chunk by chunk of uh, pages or anything, I'll probably talk about the entire thing at some point or another. And in the meantime, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at nerdygirlpod, my Tumblr, which is just nerdygirlreviews.tumblr.com, my Facebook page, which is just nerdygirlreviews, and send me an email at nerdygirlreviews at aol.com. Don't be afraid to reach out. I'm very friendly and I will reply in kind. And if you want, um, I'll even read it on the podcast and give you a little shout out if that is what you would like. If you don't want to, if you want to remain anonymous and still want me to read it or you just don't want me to read it at all, that's fine too. But in the meantime, I hope you have an awesome day and don't forget to love each other. <laughs>